This episode of Kid Lit These Days is sponsored by Hey YA, Book Riot's own podcast about all things young adult lit. Hey YA is a bi-weekly podcast brought to you by YA experts, enthusiasts, and authors, Kelly Jensen and Eric Smith. The show delves into YA trends, adaptations, news, and boatloads of young adult book recommendations of all kinds. Each episode is guaranteed to amp up your TBR and leave you feeling excited about the wide and wonderful world of young adult books. Listen to Hey YA on Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice. Hey podcast listeners, tell us more about yourself and potentially win an e-reader. We're doing a reader survey. It only takes a few minutes, and you can see the questions and giveaway details at bookriot.com forward slash 2020 survey. That's bookriot.com forward slash 2020 survey. And welcome to episode 32 of Kidlit These Days, a Book Riot podcast. At Kidlit These Days, we are your kidlit connoisseurs, pairing the best of children's literature with what's going on in the world today. I'm Nicole Young, alongside Matthew Winner, and we are here to have a conversation that creates opportunities for parents, grandparents, teachers, librarians, and all who love children's books to engage in the world through literature in a deeper and broader way. We are recording on June 21st, 2020. Hi, Matthew. <laughs> All I can sing is, hey, uh. <laughs> now, thanks, Book Riot. Now that's in my mind. Hi, Nicole. I've missed you. How are you? I have missed you too, Matthew. I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think we're both. I think we're both happy to be together. I can say that for me, at least. <laughs> I am. I am. It's a uh, yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's great to connect with you, and um, and great to have good stuff to connect over. Yay! Yes, yes. Um, I'm excited to follow up our last week's episode. I thought we did a great job of just kind of getting the conversation started, and so I'm excited for part two of this anti-racist podcast. Episode. You know, Nicole, I we say at the end of every episode to like help us out by leaving a review on Apple Podcast. And that does help because that helps the algorithm, helps this podcast get noticed when people talk about us on on Twitter or social media. All of that stuff helps. But I've got to say, and I forgot to tell you this before recording, but maybe it's even better that I'm telling you on recording. It's been super, super sweet to receive personal emails from friends and also just be on Twitter with folks tagging you and I and saying how much they're enjoying these episodes, yes. how much they enjoy our rapport yes. together. It's really, really sweet. So thank you, listeners, thank for you. sharing those words back. It's really <laughs> nice. <laughs> we like being told nice things. Thank you. <laughs> Turns out. <laughs> Turns out. And, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to shine a light on some tough subjects because kids are worth it Mm -hmm. and because having these conversations are worth it and so i'm glad that i'm glad that people are listening i'm glad we can be a resource yeah kids are worth it i love that and i think also like we are if we're trying to raise a new generation of humans that are thinking about these things differently we have to help create facility and talking about it right like we have to as the adults in their lives be more like more able to have these conversations so that they can um, kids are worth it. I love kids that. are worth it. Nicole, how is mask wearing going? 
Uh, mask wearing is going all right. My mom has made me like a whole arsenal of very beautiful masks. So oh, that's amazing. I go out every day with matching masks and head wraps. And like she has one with cupcakes on it. It's very cute. I take that one to the grocery store. Um, so, yeah. I... Oh, cool. <laughs> How about you? How's, how's mask wearing going for you and also for the children in your home? For the kids. I would say my five-year-old. <laughs> Um, every once in a while, granddad will come over and visit from a distance or uh, my family. And it's hard, especially with it being super humid in Maryland. It's hard for my long haired girl to be out there wearing a mask that she doesn't want to wear anyway. Um, but she's been a good sport. She's she's understood the the safety element of it. And it's really sweet to hear her in particular use the line. Daddy, when COVID's over, can we go to the playground again? When COVID's Whoa. over, can we do this? Or when COVID's over, we're going to do that. It's it's really sweet. Um, I I saw an influx of social media posts yesterday um, with with people once again urging folks to be wearing masks mm-hmm. and how uh, it it's helping and how um, it's it's helping you know to to lessen the curve and and all of these things. I thought, this is funny that now we're talking about it. But then I realized a lot of our states are opening back up. And I've been out, even though all the signs say you need to wear a mask. And for the most part, people are. I think that, you know, people want to feel, quote unquote, relaxed a little bit. And and it we're we're hitting a second wave. And it's 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 important we take care of one another as well as ourselves. Yeah, I've been really proud of people at, when I've gone out to protest, which I will be going to do later on today as well. But um, when I have been going out, I've been proud of how many people at the protests are masked. Um, I would say that people without masks are the are the vast minority, um, which has been nice. It's been like, yes, we're going to protest and we're going to take care of each other at the same time, which is a nice feeling. That's beautiful to hear. It's been wonderful to see photos and testimonies and videos of folks protesting we hope everyone that's out there is staying safe be safe um yeah and 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 thanks for thanks for doing your part we appreciate that well why don't i take us into our first sponsor and then Ooh, I can't wait to get to our special guest today. I'm so excited. Uh, we had such I a know. good conversation. It was oh, very so good. good. Yes. She, oh yeah, we'll, we'll talk in a second, but let me first share that uh, this episode is sponsored by I'm the Story. Alice in Wonderland is one of uh, this company's most popular books in their classic personalized stories collection. They've added a link in our show notes for uh, you to check out their quick and easy process. I'm the Story books make unique personal gifts and are beautifully crafted if your child or loved one ever dreamed of being part of the wonderland experience this is the perfect opportunity for them to be woven into the magical story let the adventure begin so 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 before we even we've been teasing out this guest right i i saw this book as a um what do you call it? Like a galley as a review copy. Um, gosh, it would have been, it would have been maybe like October of 2019, okay. uh, with a planned release of, of January. And I say it would have been October cause, cause Tiffany and I, Tiffany was on the children's book podcast leading up to this release. And I got to meet her in Baltimore when she came to, uh, NCTE, the national council of teachers of English conference. 
hey, Nicole, remember professional conferences when we could see each other face to face? And now there's when all these virtual to, ones going you got on. To see actual other human beings. Yes, yes. I there's all these those. virtual ones. And I'm like, it's not the same for it's me. I don't want to just go to sessions. I want to see people. Anyway, Tiffany was there. Um, she, her book is so powerful. I'm going to let you share more of it. But but I, I, I'm excited to hear this interview you've had with her. Because this book is anti-racist is something unique in that way that she uses her teacher voice to speak directly to her audience. And you know that we're a big fan around here of folks that respect and honor children in that way. And and she does and she is and she's she's a beautiful human being. And and why don't you introduce her to our, our listeners and then um I can't wait to hear this interview. Oh my gosh. <laughs> So Tiffany Jewell is a black biracial writer, twin, first generation American. She's a cisgender woman, an anti-racist educator and consultant, and a mama. She spends her time baking bread and macarons, building Legos, watching British detective shows, she and I are the same person, and dreaming up how she can dismantle white supremacy. Tiffany is the author of This Book is Anti-Racist, and it's published by Quarto. Tiffany, thank you so much uh, for making time today to talk with us on Kidlet these days. You're welcome. Thanks for having me here. I'm excited. So as I shared with you, um, we're doing our second episode of our anti-racist playlist, which is inspired in part by your own work in education and the kind of anti-racist books and literature and information you're putting out for both parents and educators. And so I just wanted to dive right in. My first question for you is, we're having a national conversation right now about anti-racism and anti-blackness. Mm-hmm. But I find that it's still really centering white people when we're talking about anti-racism. Yeah. And so I'm curious, when you imagine an anti-racist education, what does that feel like for black children? What does that look like? Um, what does it taste and smell yeah. like? So it doesn't center white folks, um, first thing. And it is like, that is like, we keep talking about like, what should they do? How do we help them? Um, and what it is, is it's anti-racist education, like anti-racism for all children looks like loving on yourself um, and knowing history and not just like the parts that of where we highlight oppression, but all those like amazing um, accomplishments and the resistance that has always been in our history uh, that is so important and that part keeps getting lost um, and it also is uh, really giving young folks the tools to think critically so they can question what is happening in the world what's happening around me and to know like it just because something's happening like it doesn't always have to be this way like I can stand up um and um and other folks can work with me uh anti-racism is for me it's all about working collaboratively and working in solidarity with folks it's not solo work which is what we're seeing a lot of now um a lot of folks who are just waking up are really Um, into doing kind of that like personal work and like addressing their own biases and and doing that learning. And it's so comfortable and we need to like go beyond that into, because racism isn't just a personal thing, it's a systemic thing. Um, 
And when we go kind of out of that personal, then we are actually accountable to everyone in our family, in our community, um, and in in the world. Uh, And when we don't center white folks in this conversation and in this work, then everybody, including the white folks, like get to be full humans, which is not what's happening right now. I love that. How do you, <laughs> I, you know yeah. what? I'm not going to, cause that will recenter white people. So we're going <laughs> to skip over that. Yes. <laughs> it's so, it's so easy to fall into that though. It's like, so, so easy. I find myself doing it and then I have to like check myself and uh, yeah, it's hard. And I love <laughs> your question too. Like, what does it taste like and smell like? Um, it tastes like freedom. And I think like my friend Amelia is working on starting her, her own um, learning center, Sankofa Learning Center within the tool that she's using is the Montessori pedagogy. And one of my like favorite things I think about all the time is she's like, you know, we're going to have, like, we're not going to have boring white walls in the classroom. We're going to have earth tones and we're going to have black soap, you know, like we don't need like that dry dove soap that's going to dry your hands. Like you want the like (laughs) black African soap and you want shea butter. Um, And like, that's good for everybody. (laughs) So it smells like shea butter and freedom. I think think it does. Yeah, awesome. but I think, um, I love yeah. your point. Oh, go ahead. I was go just ahead. Say, like I think about that a lot. Like, what is it for our children? And it's like we don't have to like keep reinforcing this kind of like status quo. We get to like change the environment for them. I love that. Thank you. Um, when I hear you talking about accountability, I also think about how um, I thought about this a lot mm-hmm. as an educator and a policymaker. How we are not accountable to black parents, oh right? Yeah. Um, to the parents of black children. And I think that we see that in how police brutality plays mm-hmm. out, but I think also we see it in education systems, oh, yes. right? Because yeah. if we were accountable to black parents, um, we would not educate their children mm-hmm. in this way. Absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> and so I wonder as you, I'm sure in your work that you're talking with black mm-hmm. parents, what are you hearing from them about what they want in anti-racist schools for their children. Yeah. So I'm going to like go back. I was in a meeting yesterday that I'm still processing. And it was a meeting um, with about 30 folks from our our local public school district and working on the um, district improvement plan. Right. It's huge, like an improvement plan. Like this is what is going to be kind of our guiding force for the next three, five years for our students. And I was the only black, brown person, only person of color in the whole meeting. And I'm also like, I am very light black biracial. So like, I'm very comfortable for them. And a whole bunch of the conversation, like people were like, we really want to have equity in our schools. We really want this. And I'm looking around and I'm like, who, but, but you're not like the, the people you're accountable to aren't at this table right now. Mm-hmm. They're not in this zoom call. There were no black and Brown families. There were no um, like black teachers in the meeting. Um, there were no students. Like it was, it was, um, 
and this is like what's happening in a lot of places I'm guessing um absolutely yeah (laughs) as you know (laughs) and like there's this talk of like equity and justice and um the definitions are all different depending on who you are where you were educated like who you're listening to and just like listening to all of them talk about it I was like what are you talking like I felt so lost like I didn't know what I was talking about and for our black parents families um, parents of black children and our brown students um, they need to be at the table like always and in not in like positions like oh you can join the PTO but they need to be invited to the table for around like policy procedure also like this plan is in three categories and the three categories are like academic behavioral and social emotional and as a I'm a Montessori educator and as a Montessori, like I see how they're all linked and to separate them out. And I just see um, if you, if you ask black families, if you ask Brown families, like having behavioral be that kind of like thing that stands out, this hallmarker that comes right after, right after the academics, like so many of our children are being, suspended like we know all the statistics and so to kind of pull that out instead of pulling it in and lumping it with social emotional and connecting it with academics like that's that's a huge problem like we're not meeting the needs of our students Um, and what I hear from families that I work with is they're not being listened to Um, teachers and admin are assuming they know what is best for the children without including the families in the conversations at all. Um, I hear from a lot of Black mamas in particular how um, they are constantly, their tone is being policed. Um, They are not taken seriously. And there's always kind of this stigma, like, we're still looking at black mamas the same way that that um, they were portrayed in the 1980s during the Reagan era. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and like, and and yeah. that is like our admin were like very much they were in college then, like they that's what they know, and they haven't gone beyond beyond that. Um, but it's really like they need to be at the table; they deserve to be at the table. And the table belongs to them, it right? It sure <laughs> does. Thank you for that correction. Oh, yeah. Like, it really does. Like, it, yeah, they built it. They're there. Yeah. Their kids are there. Their taxpayer dollars. <laughs> like, are they, it's their children. I think it's so fascinating to think about those divisions you talked about mm-hmm. and not including parents in having a conversation about the the social emotional lives of children, right? Like who is more intimately involved, right? most intimately involved in the social yeah. emotional life of their children yeah. than their yeah. caretakers, right? whoever they may be. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was yeah. astounding. And, and then there's always like those assumptions, like kids aren't getting cared for as well at home as they are at school, which is like the complete opposite. Like that's such a myth that school is a better place for majority of the students there. Um, because it's not and like for some yes but majority no it's not safe yeah and it is violent in a way that Mm -hmm. I think there's all these assumptions about what black and brown homes and poor homes look like right but I don't think there's a lot of consideration for 
how violence shows up in school day, right? I know, like I know. policing of yep. children's bodies, tiny, tiny people's their bodies, thought, right? And I'm sure like policing yeah, their thought, thought. school management programs, making them all like clap when the teacher does their eyes, you know, the there's all that like eyes on the teacher, hands folded, and you're like, but why? Like, there's no need for it. And my friend um Britt Hawthorne and I were just talking about how there's like kind of a resurgence of teachers wanting to do like simulations to pick cotton, the blue and brown eyed test. And those are, um, and then we get confessions too of like, well, I didn't really feel comfortable doing that. And you're like, well, how do you think your students felt? <laughs> like you don't have to recreate trauma for them to know because they just know because it's, they're experiencing it every day in your classroom. Earlier this year, you published your book. Mm-hmm. Uh, this book is anti-racist. Why did you do it? And <laughs> what do you want your, your readers to take away? Yeah. Um, why? The why is more like this is work that I've always – I worked primarily with six- to nine-year-olds for over a decade. And this was the work that we did in our classroom. Um, we, expo- we like did the work on understanding our identities, our individual and collective like as a group – we really dove into the history of racism and anti-racism and resistance. And then we like created action for ourselves. Like what would we do as a community? There was one year where I was so proud of them. They created like a nine point program, kind of like the Black Panther Party's 10 point program. I know for economic justice within our community. And then they were like, we want to meet with the board. And so we like convened this meeting and board members and the admin came and it was so like they, they were such a powerhouse of kids. Like they were like, this is what we need. Um, and it was awesome. And uh, kind of that work turned into the book uh, because I really believe in young people. Um, and I know, I know from the working with adults that adults don't always believe in that young people can do this major work and they can. Um, And so that was kind of like the why and what do I want them to take away from it? Well, a lot of adults are reading the book right now, um, which is great. And I want them to like go to not just read that, not just read my book. There's so many others to read. Um, I love Layla Saad's Me and White Supremacy. Like that book is so good um, for white, light, white passing, white presenting folks. But also like read all of the things written by black and brown folks for centuries. Um, For centuries, centuries, right? It's not just like (laughs) this year, which is like kind of what it feels like right now. But for centuries, you know, like. Yeah. I've been seeing all the New York Times lists. Yeah. It's all books that were written in the last two years. And I'm like, you know, there's like James Baldwin. Uh There's like, there's there's Audre Lorde. There's Angela Davis. Like there's Asada Shaker. I mean, there's so many people who have been writing about this for a long time. (laughs) And there's like, there's so many living legends too, right? Like we're looking at um, kind of like younger, like folks like my age, but there's like people like, I think of like the move nine, you know, like they're still alive. Like Africa, the Mike Africa around in Philly, like you can go listen to him talk. So like, they're just, 
we're not doing, I want people to like go beyond themselves. I want them to know the history and then I want them to like keep growing and to keep going with this work. I don't want folks who are reading the book to read it and like call it a day because this is like stamina work. It's lifelong. Like we have to keep it going. I already feel like people are like losing their stamina too. Oh, they're totally losing steam. Well, I think that that leads me to my next question, which is, you know, anti-racism, this work, right, that you're talking Mm -hmm. about, about undoing and unbraiding systems and centuries of systematic oppression, right, is it's going to be, if we're combating that, it requires both collective will, which to your point, there's a little bit of that flagging right now. Already. (laughs) (laughs) And we're only like two weeks in, you know, to like earnest protest, right? Um, uh, this round yeah. of earnest protest, and but it also, in addition to will, it requires skill. Yep. And so I'm curious, what skills do you think, particularly the uh, the adults, yeah. right, the adults, the educators, and the parents need to build in order to educate and raise anti-racist children? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the first skill, and this is something that I've like. I'm very consciously working on is to listen, listen to, listen to the kids, listen to the young folks, because um, they are not only like telling us what they need, but they're like making amazing observations um, about the world. And they're just not being listened to. Like, I think even in my house, like we have a four-year-old and an eight-year-old and they're so conscious of like, what is, going on in the world. And if I listen to their questions, like it helps me to understand more deeply the ways that the media and um, the, like all the different institutions, education really help us to become entrenched in white supremacy culture. And if we can like, not just like listen to them, but then kind of put our egos aside and, um, do the work of kind of untangling with them, we can be like, we'll become a better society for that. I think a lot of times adults want to have all the answers and they want to get it right. um, And they don't want children to know that they're fallible and we are, and and that's okay. Um, I think just kind of like listening and not just listening to children, but listening to like black and brown mothers is and fathers like families is so important too. Um, you know, if, if somebody's telling me like I don't want my, this white kid touching my child's hair, like to listen to that um, and really honor it and and call your kid call your kid in and, or out. Um, other kind of like skills are to um, drop the sense of urgency um, because that like is, you know, that there's like that sprint, like we have to fix everything right now. And um, like, we've been, we've been doing this work for so long. Okay. Like if you can kind of pause and work collaboratively, um, take a little bit longer than the immediate, and we'll kind of go, we'll have a better, I don't want to say plan, but that's what I'm going to say right now. Like we'll have a better plan for going forth. Otherwise we're just going to keep making mistakes and we're going to get tired and we're going to like, we're going to be having this conversation again, like next year. 
Uh, I also see that as like a build and iterate thing, yeah. right? And, and it, it's really hard. It's like actually very un-American to think about mm-hmm. it that way. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like, we built something. It's probably not going to be good the first time. Right. Let's go back right. and try it again. Yeah. And then let's do it one more time. We're very into, you know, I think even our like, the constitution right like we made this perfect document it's not like it's not or whatever and we should probably just investigate that um (laughs) i mean look how many times it's been amended you know like yeah yeah there's the um i always go back to the characteristics of white supremacy culture from tima akin and kenneth jones um because and I like I go to it I made a checklist out of it so even when I'm in like meetings like I'll be checking like yep perfectionism yep sense of urgency (laughs) yep Um, which is like maybe not the best thing worship of the written word like either or thinking (laughs) but kind of being aware of those things helps me to to not fall into those like it keeps me awake and it helps me to not fall into like yeah I'm just gonna go along with the status quo and um, you know, you're the superintendent, so you get the final say, but like, no, like we're a group of people. Like we need to be working on this together. No, like no individual is more important than the collective. Um, so those like characteristics, I feel like are the things that really help me to build and hone my skills as I keep going along in this work. Um, My final question for you is, and we talked a little bit, but are there books and resources um, that you feel like are essential Mm. for doing what we're doing in these two episodes, which is building this anti-racist playlist? Um, And that's both for children and adults. Yeah. I um, I mean, this is like all the bestsellers too right now because they're like (laughs) always in our faces. But I love Stamped from Jason Reynolds and Ibram X. Kendi. I loved Stamped from the beginning. Like I listened to the audiobook probably like 10 times at this point in my life. And I've read like the book a couple. It's um, great. Stamped is so good because it it's for kids. And um, a lot of times adult books give so much information that we get kind of like overwhelmed. And it really just kind of lays it all out there. So like we've been reading it with our eight-year-old parts of it. And like, you know, it's written for slightly older kids. So I like will bring it down to the eight-year-old level, but it's, it's a great book and a tool um, for like gaining that knowledge. I always, always love the autobiography of Malcolm X too. It's so good. That book was so transformative in my life, like in my role as an educator and, and a student, like it was the book where I was like, all right, I'm not going to do things the way that they've always been done anymore. Like, um, and like, I just like recently reread it. It's like one of those books you read like every couple of years. And every time I read it, I'm just kind of blown away by how thoughtful and insightful he was and how he really, um, really worked for his people. Like he, I, 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 he wasn't the only one, like he didn't want to ever be the only one. Like he was willing to like be the voice, but he didn't want to do the work on his own. And I think that's so important. Um, And then there's like a new book that I'm really 
um, excited about. I've been reading and it's Parenting for Liberation um, by Trina Green Brown. She is a podcast too, and it's published by Feminist Press. And this is um, like a guidebook for parenting and for raising black children. It's so, it's so great. And um, like my, the, my children that I'm raising are white presenting, like they walk through the world as white children. And for me as a mama, like always listening to what black mamas are saying is super important in how I raise my children to be anti-racist and to stick up for, um, to, to really like stick up for anti-racism in the, in the world. And I think we have a lot to learn from black mamas always. And, um, we need to be listening to their voices. Tiffany, thank you so much for making time and sharing your experience and your wisdom as an anti-racist educator and mom mm-hmm. and um, just grateful for your time. And uh, we're, we're glad, we're excited to have this on Kid Lit These Days. Yeah, thank you. This episode is sponsored by Never Tell by Katherine Orton. All that 12-year-old Lena knows of the world is the Stalinist labor camp where she was born, a place of hunger, cruelty, and deprivation. After a daring escape into the frigid Siberian wilds with her best friend Bogdan, Lena vows to reach Moscow and find her long-lost grandmother, whom she hopes will help her return to the camp to rescue her mother. Lena and Bogdan catch the eye of a vengeful witch, a refugee of oppressive new laws about magic, who commands an army of shadow wolves. Pursued by the witch and in fear of recapture, Lena will need courage to survive the journey and bring hope to a dark place. Wow. Cool. Witches nice. and Stalinist labor camps. You never would have thought. <laughs> <laughs> also, well done reading the copy. I was totally transfixed. That was great. <laughs> All right. Well, it is time for us to jump into our book talk segment. Uh, remember that you can find all of the books and resources we mentioned here by visiting bookriot.com slash listen. Find episode 32 of Kid Lit These Days. You can also go back to our previous episode, uh, Building an Anti-Racist Playlist Part 1. Or uh, if you have any other books or resources to share or you want to talk about this stuff, make sure you find us on social media, hashtag KidLitTheseDays, or email us at KidLitTheseDays at BookRiot.com. These are conversations we want to be having with you. We love connecting with you. So last episode, we talked books. We talked about important books. We talked about books that will um, help continue to provide space for conversation about racism and microaggressions and injustice and oppression. Today, we're going to bring you something a little bit different. Nicole, you're going to lead us with a book, and then we're going to jump into a whole bunch of podcasts, other sources for folks to listen to, for you to take in, for you to process uh, along your journey. Um, Why don't you get us started? Yes, I have a book and two articles. So Lifting As We Climb, Black Women's Battle for the Ballot Box is written by Yvette Dion, and it's a middle grade history book about black women's uh, work in the suffrage movement. And I just, I think it's really important. Last episode, I was talking about reimagining histories and learning new histories. And I think one thing that black women get consistently left out of is the conversation about suffrage. Um, And if we leave them out, we leave out the very real racism that was happening within the suffrage suffragette movement, right? 
um, where white suffragettes were very much oppressing black women. And I think it's an important thing to, um, to bring to the fore. So I would definitely recommend lifting as we climb. And then I think I, so in my, um, interview with Tiffany, she and I kept trying to talk about what anti-racism looks like without focusing on the white gaze, right? Without focusing on just white allies. And there are just two articles that came out this week that I really loved. And I think that are important for white people who are trying to be allied with black people or co-conspirators with black people right now to need to be thinking about. Um, and so one is called, um, some things are just for us. It's a, a medium article written by, um, by Amina DeSalle, and it was just talking about how the Juneteenth celebration, while we want everyone to know about it, right, is about black people and for black people and how the spaces where we're celebrating those things should be preserved for us, for black people. And so I think it's a good article. And then Imani Perry did this really dope article that I think captured so many of my my feelings this week, um, which was that, you know, racism is terrible. Being black is not is the name of the article. And I was like, whoa, what an amazing title. (laughs) Yes. And I was it's a thing I've been feeling so, so emphatically, which is like, I want I want white people to be on board. I want y'all to come along. But I also want you to understand that, like, blackness is not the scourge. It is the racism. That's the scourge. Like, I love being black. I want people to not be racist to me. That's what I want. So I think those two articles are important this week. So Beautiful. We uh, will make sure also in the show notes that we link to Tiffany's Instagram account yes. because she's got a ton of wonderful resources. When she was at NCTE, she book talked uh, books for the young readers, for middle grade and for adults. Uh, that's all on her Instagram feed. And her Instagram feed also links to all of her other uh, resources, her website, her Patreon, all of those different things that she's doing. So we'll make sure we link to that. But in addition, she works with a, another educator, Britt Hawthorne, doing the anti-racist book club on Instagram, which is hashtag anti-racist book club. We'll make sure we link to that as well. So there are great sources and connections from that hashtag that can lead you a bunch of uh, really wonderful places on Instagram and connect you with a lot of really great resources. But why don't we jump into some podcasts or podcast episodes that uh, we think folks that enjoy kill it these days in these conversations uh, might also like. Yeah. I'll mention having now listened to uh, Tiffany speak with you to talk about her partner, Britt. Uh, she was on the Hope and Hard Pills podcast, which you can listen to any episode of Hope and Hard Pills. It's wonderful. But the one where Britt guest, um, guests on the show, she is talking about starting an anti-bias, anti-racist Montessori school and what that looks like. It's a really wonderful episode that talks about uh, educational structures. And, and how uh, we can be challenging those in order to educate all children. So I found that to be really powerful as an educator and as a parent, thinking about how we have these conversations with kids and when um, when identity starts forming, which in children can be uh, ages four, five, six, right? Yeah. So so powerful to be to be leading in uh, with those conversations about schooling. Where do you want to start? Um, so I included the 1619 uh, podcast, which I think is important for folks to listen to. Um, Unprisoned, I told you about um, before the show, before we started recording, is a podcast by a colleague of mine in Louisiana that she did a few years ago about the carceral system in Louisiana. And I think it's just an important conversation, um, a por- an important podcast as we're thinking about defunding the police and defunding prisons and stuff like that. So those are my two that I included yeah. here. Oh, and Race Trader which is a, sure. it's a one about a white woman who is kind of really, really unpacking 
what does anti-racism mean like within her family, within herself. Um, and it's only, that one's really short. I, I think it's like four or five episodes. Um, but yes, those are my three. A couple that I want to make sure I drop. One that's being recommended everywhere, but it's high time you listen if you haven't listened to Code Switch. Listen to the Code Switch podcast. They're in their fourth anniversary now. The very first episode, I think, is it's definitely about whiteness. Like, what is whiteness? <laughs> I remember. Um, and they've continued to uh, really push the boundaries of talking about race. One of my favorite episodes uh, is, Is My Dog Racist? <laughs> <laughs> But they're two main hosts. What? Um, I love it. Yeah. Wait, wait, so wait. <laughs> it talks That's about the, um, the 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 bias um, survey that remember that Harvard or MIT. Yes. That, that, yes. So it talks about that as well. Um, they've continued to put out uh, wonderful episodes um, and and they just um, knock it out of the park every time. There's a, 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 a podcast called Teaching While White. That is a great um show to listen to they publish maybe once a month at this point but you can listen through the archives i love two dope teachers and a mic which are uh, two teachers from colorado that talk a lot about education um but they also get a lot into intersectionality and race and it's they do a wonderful job uh breaking down how to teach history uh and what things should be challenged i also um wanted to bring up Brene brown's podcast called unlocking us Brene Brown is a best-selling author and speaker, and she's amazing, but she also uh, is known for pushing boundaries and helping people have tough conversations. And she has a great episode with Ibram Kendi, who wrote How to Be an Anti-Racist, and uh, she continues to push um, into challenging and needed territories. Her most recent episode, as of us recording, uh, is with is about transgender advocacy. So yay, Brene, for for doing that. And um, the final episode I want to share before you will close us out, which I'm smiling at what you're linking right now. (laughs) (laughs) The final one I'll mention is Revisionist History, which is the uh, podcast that Malcolm Gladwell um, hosts. And there's an episode called Miss Buchanan's Period of Adjustment, which is about uh, Brown versus the Board of Education and how that legislation, by by ending um, segregation in a lot of ways, further drove the segregation in education. It's a wonderful episode that takes us up to today, and uh, it's powerful and important for folks to listen to. So there's tons and tons of things for you to listen to to get you started. Share, Nicole, please. Wait, have you okay? Have you ever listened to the Sporkful podcast? I've listened to the Sporkful, but I don't know this one. Oh my god! <laughs> so I can't believe I didn't remember this immediately because this is one of my favorite episodes that he's ever done. It is so good that I made a lesson plan for it because I just think that it like it needs to be taught places. So I I sent it out with a lesson plan for a couple of people, but it's called When White People Say Plantation. Um, so Dan Pashman is the the host of, of Sporkful, which is usually just like a lighthearted show about food. It ends up like talking about people's experiences with food as, you know, from different cultures and backgrounds. But this episode started out because a food writer, Osai Endelin, had posted about her experience trying a plantation rum at a bar um, and that the waitress didn't want to say the word plantation to her because right? <laughs> she's like a black woman. And she's like, what's the name of the rum? And she said, she wouldn't say plantation. And so then this whole thing started around 
like why do people still include white people still include the word plantation in food titles and in recipe books and like all this stuff and so he has it's an excellent episode because he himself as a white man is he is encountering the pushback he has within himself talking about race to other white people right so like even when he's on the phone you hear him struggling with being forceful and like struggling with pushing back on why people are using this language and being forceful about trying to like say that you know plantation is not appropriate if you don't need to use it like it's not like an idealized thing he also talks about the history of the word plantation it's just a dope episode and i encourage white people to listen to it because um it's real good well, and I think for a white person to to hear someone struggling to mm-hmm. have that conversation, but doing it, I think mm-hmm. really speaks to how this is messy and hard work. And that's why it's called the work, right? Mm-hmm. It's called doing the work for a reason. And I think that um, to be able to have folks see things like that modeled, white folks see things like that modeled, how to have those conversations is good. Nice. Wow. All the podcast. <laughs> Nicole, it's super fun to like exchange. Hey, what's on your podcast role? What's on yours? Um, that's fun. There's a couple here that I am, uh, was not aware of. I did not know about Unprisoned or Race Trader. I can't wait to listen to Race Trader. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, folks, listen, thank you all for joining us today. As always, we would love your feedback on this podcast. We would love to hear what podcasts you listen to, what books you're reading, all the things. We always appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts. Again, when you do that, you help other people find us. You can find me, Matthew Winner, at Matthew Winner on Twitter. And you can find me, Nicole Young, on Twitter at, at IttyBittyNY. <laughs> Okay, we're counting on you. If you have a story idea, reach out to us on social media using hashtag KidLit these days or email us at kidlitthesedays at bookriot.com. We would love to hear what you're thinking about and what you would like to hear on the show. May your coming days be storied and may those good stories keep on coming. <laughs> <laughs>